Thank you for the grace that you've shown already this morning. You've made your mercies new. We thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you that uh, Reed missed you here. And uh, Chandra and Matt, so good to see everybody. Asking for your wisdom right now. We need to hear from you. And we're just going to be those who listen and open up our hearts to you and not hold anything back. We love you, Abba Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're digging into Exodus. So everybody turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're getting into a new section where uh, some really fascinating things happen. Exodus chapter 3. Let me read, and then, and then we'll comment on the scriptures. So this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside. And see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry, their outcry, because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And now come, And I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And this is the first. The word excuse is too strong, but this is is a pushback from Moses. But Moses says to God, who am I? And there's a bit of a play on words on this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, assuredly, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Yeah. God furthermore said to Moses, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is the name for all generations to use, to call upon me. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob have appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring, up, bring you up out of the oppression of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's twice he mentions a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will pay attention to what you have to say. And then you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will reach out with my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask her neighbor and the woman who lives and the woman who lives in her house for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And you will put them on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. All right, let's walk through that. There's some things that are very, very important to note here. Obviously, uh, the first thing I want to make mention of is that God is not calling on Moses. God is not seeking Moses. You and I are called to seek the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, uh, call me and I will answer you. Come to me, call me, I'll answer. But in this instance, God is the seeker. God is seeking Moses. Moses is not instructed to seek God. And so this is significant. And it reminds me of certainly of Genesis 3, where God is seeking out Adam and Eve in the garden. So God is seeking Seeking his children, seeking Moses. And they go to this special mountain, Horeb, or Horev in Hebrew. And it, this is like our first hints of Mount Sinai. And that God is going to be uniquely indwelling a specific mountain. Verse 2, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the blazing fire from the midst of the bush. So this is an angel. Now, we don't know who the angel is. Is it Michael? Is it a warrior class angel, Gabriel? Is it uh, somehow an angelic embodiment of Jesus? We don't know. It simply says an angel appears in the blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And yet the bush was not consumed. Now, Moses says, I need to turn aside. What's going on? I want to see this. And he says, this is a marvelous sight. Uh, the term marvelous in Hebrew can be translated. This is big. This is a big deal. So we have two ideas. Is it a big bush? And he's going, wow, this is big. 
this is fantastic and big, or this whole situation is big and fantastic. We're really not sure. But Moses was fascinated and he said, it is marvelous why the bush is not burning up. Uh, scholars have asked this question. What does, the, what does the burning bush symbolize? Does it symbolize holiness? God says to Moses, hey, stop. Don't come closer. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground and you have no idea the risk that exists when you approach me like that. This is actually dangerous. Take your shoes off and stay right there. There's some things I've got to say to you. So is holiness like a fire? The book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that our God is a consuming fire. Kind of makes sense. You know, God's holiness. Is it God's light? The light of God's presence? Uh, I tend to think it means this. I think the bush is Israel and the fire is the suffering of Israel. In Deuteronomy 4.20 uh, the text says that I delivered you out of the iron furnace of Egypt, the torturous suffering, flame-like, burning-like suffering that the Egyptians uh, laid on the backs of the Hebrew people. I think this is what it's about. And the, bur the bush is not consumed. In other words, nobody can kill what God says is going to be alive, no matter what kind of suffering that the Egyptians place on the Hebrew people, they will endure because God is calling them out of that and the fire will not consume them. Now, there's other ways to take that, certainly, but I think that's, that's what I think uh, is in mind here. The Lord sees, and it's interesting, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, that he looks, God is seeking Moses and when God saw that Moses looked, he called his name, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I want you to, to, to get this. I'm going to read several texts that are so important. Here I am stories in, in the scriptures. In Genesis 22, Abraham was tested by God and told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. <clears throat> as Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice his son. God says, Abraham. And what does Abraham say? He says, here I am. Here I am. In Genesis 31, an angel speaks to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob says, here I am. Little Samuel, as a little boy, Hannah's son, uh, given over to the temple to be raised in honor of God, dedicated at a very early age. The Lord comes to Samuel at night and calls his name Samuel. And what does the little boy say? He says, here I am. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is confronted with the glory of God. And God says, who shall I send to Israel? Who shall I send? Who will go out for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Please send me. Um, Isaiah 65, this is interesting. In Isaiah 65, God says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And I permitted myself to be found by those who weren't looking for me. And God says, here I am, here I am. Last one, Acts 9, there's a man named Ananias. He's a holy man. He's in, uh, he's in a position where God's gonna use him to onboard this troublesome Jew named Saul, 
and who's been very dangerous to Christians, persecuting Christians, even to the point of having them murdered. And God says to Ananias, I want you to get ready. I've got a job for you. He says his name, Ananias. And Ananias says, here I am. All right. So we can get a lot of wisdom out of that. You ready? God uses his people when they learn to say, here I am. God uses his people when his children, his followers, have a default kind of setting that says, here I am. What do you want me to do? Yeah. That is a good heart. Here I am. Now, uh, there may be times when... <laughs> uh, you guys ever get in a situation when you're at home and, you're, and, and somebody <coughs> knocks on your door or the doorbell rings and it's like... It's not here I am. It's like, who is it? <laughs> Alabama is beating Ole Miss. Who would be? Oh, did I bring that up? I'm so sorry. Did the Razorbacks? I'm sorry. We're off track. I'm, I'm sorry. Let's get focused. We get interrupted. We're watching our favorite team. Roll Tide. And we're having a good time. Finally on the couch. Relaxing. Razorback game's on. Whatever it is. And somebody knocks on the door. The door button. like, ah. It's more of a who in the world is that? Well, we get that. We do that to, to humans. But what if God spoke to you? What if God spoke your name? What if you heard your name? What would you say? Oh, this is bad. <laughs> He's going to ask me to do something really hard that I don't want to do. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't hear nothing. No, 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 no. No, you would say amazing grace. What would you say if you're ignoring God? What do you say? <clears throat> yeah, Moses said, here am I. And Moses wasn't looking. God found him. And Moses, his heart was, it was just the right moment. Moses is uh, in an identity crisis. He is, uh, his sense of self is being deconstructed and reconstructed. Culturally Egyptian, genetically Hebrew, and he's trying to figure out who he is. And he's not sure. But there's something stirring his blood. And the tutelage of a mother. And some siblings. What he remembers. And the Holy Spirit grabbing Moses by the heart. And he's finally ready to say, God, here I am. Finally, he's ready. It's taken some years. He's confronted. Hey. I'm holy. You don't understand that. By the way, the terms that are used for holiness are uh, in their root form. They mean <clears throat> I'm really different and I'm not like you. <laughs> that might be a good way to say or to get at the meaning of holiness. I'm not you. I am absolutely other. That's a good way to start. Second way to get the term uh, what, it, what it means to be holy. I'm not you, I'm other, and I'm set apart from you. God is very different, and he's very apart. There's a distance between us and God. Makes sense. If you're a Hebrew, and you understand the Hebrew mindset, not me, and absolutely distanced from me. Holy. This is what the term means. Stay right there. Take your shoes off. You have no idea the risk 
that I'm allowing, that, that you're engaging in right now with me. And look at this. This is verse 6. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, the famous scene in Star Wars where Anakin, Darth Vader, isn't it horrible to bring up a Star Wars illustration? This is awful. I'm sorry. Let's roll with it. The famous scene where Darth Vader confronts Luke and says, I am your father. Ouch. That's where they, they get the sound from a CPAP machine, but that's all they do. You know how that works. And so, you know. I'm your dad. Yeah, you ought to hear Owen Williams do that scene. It's, it's uh, uh, amazing. I'm your dad. Moses, finally at a place, after a lot of suffering, after being confronted with the best education of Egypt, the highest cultural experiences Egypt has to offer, all of it counts for nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? We sometimes think all of our accomplishments will get God's attention. We sometimes think all of our compliments will get God's attention. They won't. They won't. God doesn't need all those things. God needs a heart that says, here I am. What you got? Here I am. And that takes faith. God does something for Moses that Moses has been longing for. He gives him an identity. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in that moment, I believe Moses finally gets it. Culturally Egyptian, genetically Hebrew, and he is now becoming culturally Hebrew. He is literally being drawn into a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. And when that clicks, Moses has to hide his face because he cannot see, he cannot look at God. He's literally afraid. The language, I've already mentioned this from last Sunday, God keeps using human terms. I see it, I hear it, I'm aware of it, I'm going to come down. You know that, don't make me come down there, God is coming down. Now, where's heaven? Well, evidently it's up because it says I'm coming down. All right, and I see it and I hear it and I'm aware of it. And uh, the suffering, verse 9, is coming. It's like it rises up. And I get that they're, they're, they're being oppressed. God is aware of these things. Moses finally gets it. Verse 10, now, now uh, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people. So God is not only helping Moses have an identity. He's going to use Moses to give an entire people group an identity. They will be my people. Everything's changing. The sons of Israel. And Moses, this is first, first back. Who am I? Little play on words. Who am I? God says, I am. Moses saying, I am not. God says, I am. And this language is, again, God is not like Moses. Very, very different. The command to worship God. You know, a, a quick, just a quick comment. When your heart is set to that default setting, 
here I am. You get that God wants us to worship him. God wants a Justin. He wants an intimate relationship. He wants deep, deep fellowship with us. Um, and then the command again to go and uh, uh, and see the, say these things to Israel and to to literally get them on board. Um, the name I am, just a, a couple of comments about this. This is probably old news to some of you. Um, the name I am captures an idea in Hebrew thought, and that is God is in authority in the past, the present, and the future. He's the great I am. You and I are limited by time and space. God is not. And so God can say, I am the father of Abraham in present tense. I am the father of Isaac and Jacob in present tense, even though these men have died. As the great I am, it's past, present, and future. Now, I, I want you to pay attention to this. Verse 15. This is my name forever, and this is the name for all generations to use to call upon me. So it's fascinating. Um, if you have any interaction with devout Jews, they will not say the name Yehovah or Yahweh. They will not say that. Because they believe it is so holy that it would be disrespectful to say it. And so they use other terms. They might say Hashem, which is the name, or they might say Adonai, and a variety, Elohim, a variety of names that can be used to identify the God of the Hebrews. But they will not use that name out of, uh, out of a kind of reverence for him. And I appreciate that. I really do. And yet, Torah itself says to say it. <laughs> I appreciate that they won't out of respect. And yet God says, this is the very name I want you to use when you call upon me. All right. So can I just challenge us all? Dial in God's heart when you pray and say, Yehovah, Yahweh, please hear my prayer and utter that prayer. He told us to do that. Now, um, Names have tremendous meaning. My name, Christopher, comes out of two Greek words, Christ, bearer, bearer. Out, out of Catholic folklore, there's uh, a story that uh, St. Christopher helped uh, carry Jesus across the stream, kind of a thing, so he, wouldn't, he didn't have to walk through the water. The idea of bearing or carrying Christ. And I, I don't give weight to that at all, but I do hold to the fact that my name means I carry Christ. My name means I bear it. He's on my back. He's in my heart. He's in my mouth. And I speak of him, that that is my job. And when I do that, you know what I act like? I act like a Christopher. I act out of my name. All right. When we are convinced in our heart and many of us are not. That if God did speak to you, you should say, here I am. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. We're kind of half-hearted in our devotion sometimes. But when your heart is at that place, when it's like, here I am. Yes, sir. And that's, we're 100% in. Okay. We can literally draw near to the very name and get at the very character of God, which is Holy. And his love for us is tremendous. All right, final comment. I want to give this over to you guys. Verse 18. 
Uh, we'll back up. Uh, verse 16. I want you to go and gather the elders of Israel and tell them, you know, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has called you and commissioned you to do this. Okay, got it. Do you realize how many Israelis are in Goshen in that area? One, 1. 1.5, 2 million people. Do you know how many elders there are? There's a lot. Moses has got to go there and he has got to meet with the figureheads, the old men who have been adjudicating cases and managing, judging this fledgling nation known as the Hebrews, the river crossers. And God says to Moses, I want you to persuade them that I am sent you. And then verse 18, then you will pay attention to what you say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to Pharaoh and you'll say, Pharaoh, please let us leave and go worship. Can I, can I make, this is really important to me. I hope you get it. God never wanted Moses to go, go alone on this thing. Like Cecil B. Mills, Moses versus Pharaoh, you know. Moses, 200 pounds. Pharaoh, 199 pounds, something like that. You know, some peer-like conflict that is not the same. Can you imagine Moses walking with the, into the Pharaoh's court with the elders of Israel with him? A whole entourage. Can you imagine that? Hundreds. God doesn't want us to go this thing alone. True story. Uh, my, my dear friend, Tom James. If, if you're listening, Tom, I'm going to rat you out. Tom uh, has been a very significant cop in Little Rock for years. And he kept climbing the ranks, eventually a detective and all these things. And worked on Vice, worked with uh, the FBI, worked with the CIA. Uh, Tom guarded Mother Teresa, if that says anything. Uh, Tom told me this story. There were two very dangerous, very wanted felons in Little Rock. And they, some, some snitches, they got the intel that these two guys were at a bar. All right. And so Tom, they get the call, they figure it out, and Tom says, me, me and this other dude, we're going in. We're going to make a rest. And some of the guys said, no, not good, Tom. Not a good, not a good deal. And Tom said, I'm going in anyway. All right. So here's Tom James and her friend going into a bar with two very dangerous felons up at the bar with their, their backups. And guess what? Tom's buddies did, the Little Rock Police Force. Guess what they did? They get on the phones, they get on the radios, and they said, Tom's going in, he's got to have backup. Tom goes into the bar, and he stands a few feet away from these two men and says, I'm here to arrest you. And they chuckle. And then Tom says, over 2,000 pounds of law enforcement men walked in behind him, and everything changed. Tom, to hear Tom tell that story, that kind of backup, all right? God never intended Moses to walk in to Pharaoh's court with all of his entourage, with all of the bodyguards that would be surrounding the great Pharaoh. And Moses goes, uh, you know, hat in hand, uh, <clears throat> uh, sir, oh, um, mountain God, he spoke to me. Hard to say his name. Um, can, we, can we go out and, and just camp out for a few days and worship him? You know, like he's some apologetic little mousy guy. 
the entire leadership structure of Israel walked in with Moses. God doesn't want us to do a relationship with him and the work of the kingdom alone. Loners wear out. Loners fall easily and they're easily picked off by the enemy. All right, last comment. Israel gets all the back pay for their hard work. All the silver, all the gold, and they leave wealthy. All right. Now, you are the body of Christ. There's some summary statements for you. The angel appears in the burning bush. The importance of saying, here I am, that heart. God sees and hears and is fully aware of our suffering. God is the great I am. And God never intended Moses to battle this thing alone. All right, Christ Church, you are the body of Christ. Speak from your gifts. How do we live this out as, as the people of God? Where we use his name, we honor his name, and we are, not, uh, we are not hesitant to draw near. How do we live this out? Somebody. Presenting himself to us as his children somehow. And I, I just I just think about Moses and I think, what if Moses had said, Oh my gosh, let me just hurry on home with this block and not turn. And God waited. God showed himself in the bush with the angel, and then God waited for Moses to take notice. Yeah. And then God called his name. Yeah. He didn't scream at Moses while Moses was ignoring him. And I think about us and, and God presenting himself to us, which we don't know what kind of opportunity to bring glory to him. And how often do we rush by that? Yeah. yeah. And not stop and go and turn yeah. and go, okay, Lord, um, speak. Yeah, that's so good, Edie. That's so good. Someone else? Yes. Anna, yes. Um, so I also think about like the way that oftentimes um, you know, Christians try to go after the souls of people who are sinners. And a lot of times we think that it's like it's our responsibility to make sure that they're finding God. And it's our responsibility to keep pouring that into them. And especially here lately I've been struggling with a couple people that I've that I know that it's not it's not my job to do that. It's my job to be there when they're ready. Mm-hmm. But letting go and just like waiting, like you were saying, like you have to wait for them. It's got to be their choice. Yeah. And then continue to say the same things over and over again. Yes. Focus on yourself. Focus on your own relationship with God. But yeah. you can't do it for someone else. Yeah, that's so good, Anna. <clears throat> very, very good. Someone else. Why does this matter? You uh, mentioned all the hands of the people responding yeah. to God's calling. Yeah. It's a play on words, but when what they're saying, not even knowing, is hear God. Yes. His name is I Am. Yes. Hear God. It's fascinating play on words, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, Lee and even Moses, who am I? <laughs> who, God? Yeah. 
That's so good, Lee. Somebody else. Leonidi, do you remember when, uh, I believe it was Elijah, Justin, Elijah, Elisha, uh, and they were looking for rain, they were waiting for rain, and waiting to hear God, remember, is it going to be in a big fire, and then uh, was God's voice in the thunder and the lightning and the rocks are split, and it was not, it was, it was the still small voice, right? Sometimes God speaks very gently, very quietly. Uh, I, I hope you have a hard to understand, I bet to tell you. This device does more to distract us from God's voice than most things. We get more distractions, we're more we're derailed, we're sidetracked, more excuses are found in this little device to not seek God, to not look, to not be curious about God because of this thing right here. And we're all duped. Every one of us is, we drank that Kool-Aid and the poison. And we're, it's like, this is, a, this is the new form of Egyptian slavery. I'm, ah, I've got to look at my phone. Yeah, more distractions through that one device that can get us off of the place in our heart where we're going to say, Lord, I'm, I'm looking for you and here I am. That's so good. Someone else. Okay. All right, everybody's turn to Acts 16. Acts 16. Paul and Silas have been in prison because they're preaching the gospel and they're disrupting the culture and the ethos of the city. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour, that very night, and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Paul had the opportunity to say a lot of things when the man said, what must I do to be saved? You know, Paul could have said something like, well, you've got to join the church. Or you've got to do this. You've got to memorize this scripture. He could have developed a broad-ranging catechism and all these things. But he says this, you have got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The word holiness in Hebrew, I said it's other, it's not us, not you, and it's distant. 
please appreciate that God, although He's near, He seeks those, He wants to seek worshipers. But Isaiah 59, your sins have made a separation. There can be a disconnect. Paul writes to Timothy and says, there is one mediator between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus literally closes the gap between us and God. Appreciate that. Jesus closes the gap between us and God. He is the mediator. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have intimacy with God. You're restored. It's called the new birth. Now, regarding holiness, uh, we, Hollywood and the agenda of Hollywood has been going on for like 50 years. Comedians, this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. The, the material, the stuff a comic writes, the scripts of a movie, watch what happens. Almost always, pay attention, take a social issue, a cultural issue, a moral issue, and they pick at it. And they push it. And they push it. And they push it. And so what happens is, is that uh, some of you are old enough to remember the movie Gone with the Wind. All right. I will not use the term that was used famously in that movie. It's like the closing scene where Clark Gable tells the girl off, right? And uses, uses a term that was considered shocking in cinema at the time, culturally. A swear word is being used. You might remember it, right? And so do you realize that we, how far we've gone on swear words on TV? And it was like, oh, I can't believe Clark Gable said that. And I thought he was a good man, you know. And look, we're, we're dropping F-bombs like, that's just how you talk. Like it's nothing, you know. Look, I'm, holiness, we are far from holiness with the content of media and the vocab of media from comics to cinema, the whole music. We haven't talked about music. Good heavens. When you listen to the lyrics of, 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 and we wonder why culture is the way it is. What I'm getting at is we have a holiness crisis, not only in this nation, not only in Little Rock, Arkansas, not only in churches, but in our own hearts on what holiness is. Now, if you're a good Jew, if you're a good Hebrew, this is what you know about holiness. There are holy places. Stand here. Do not stand there. Uh, just in the way the temple was designed. There was the open court of the Gentiles. Unclean Gentiles could stand there. And then a place where only Jews get to stand here. And then here, oh, only priests get to stand here. And then the most holy place, only one priest, the high priest, one time of year is allowed to go in there. A place known as the Holy of Holies. Holy places, holy times, Shabbat, Sabbath is holy. It's not like Tuesday. It's not like Monday. It's different. You don't do certain things in this place nor at this time. 
Holiness also is about people. There's some people that are unholy and you do not interact with them. And Jews had strict laws about that. Clean and unclean food, clean and unclean people. We've missed holiness. We miss it. Holy objects. We can take a Bible and throw it in the stack like, you know, it's some magazine or something. You know. God's word is holy. So Christchurch, where's your heart? Are you at that place where you're gonna say, Here I am. Here I am. I will do what you, I will go where you tell me. I will do what you tell me to do. I'm not playing games with religion. I totally yield my heart to you. That's what he wants. And when that happens, God uses us. God uses people who say, here I am. God tends to not use people who say, no, I won't. It's real simple. Is God using you? Are you on mission? You making excuses? What you doing? Above all things, Christchurch, you've got to believe. If you've never been born again, you have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, talk about separation. There's a pretty big gap between heaven and hell. And hell is for those not who, who have not sinned. People go to hell not because they sin. Why do they go to hell? They don't believe. They refuse to believe in Jesus. Why do people go to heaven? Because they've never sinned? Yes. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So we're saved by grace. We're discipled by grace. And we have to have that heart. Here I am. All right, I'm going to pray over you and we're going to continue. Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. You are calling us to full surrender. You're calling us to holiness. You're calling us to faith. You're calling us to be the kind of people that say, Dad, here I am. Use me. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.